0: Well, if you want to open up to Matthew chapter 28, we're going to start in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Commanded you, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. And this is how the Gospel of Matthew ends. We've been going through Matthew for the last nine weeks, uh, as we kind of have been following the life of Jesus, uh, talking about the kingdom of God. Going through a series called the Kingdom. The kingdom of God is uh, this this place that we we believe is our future destination. This is. When all is said and done, when we are in heaven with God, we are the kingdom of God, where everything is exactly as God wants it. And we also believe that this is something we catch glimpses of here and now. It's a present reality. That as we enter into life with Jesus, life with Christ, we experience this kingdom, glimpses of this kingdom here. And as, as we follow the life of Jesus, we see that. We see the work that Jesus does uh, that is all about his kingdom, whether it's healing the sick, having compassion, on, on, on people as he's uh, being in relationship with those that are outcasts. There's this progression of, of life that Jesus says he goes to, the cro- goes to the cross and he's just putting on display the kingdom of God and ultimately gives up his life on the cross. We've been talking about the kingdom. And Matthew ends this gospel with this great commission, these words from Jesus. And it's interesting, as we we talk about the Great Commission, verse 16 says there were 11 disciples, which immediately reminds us that, wait, there were 12 throughout this entire book. One of them is missing here. And it says that some doubted. As Matthew ends his gospel, he doesn't hide the fact that this wasn't for everyone. And in fact, one person rejected the way of Jesus. Some people are doubting what this is all about about this isn't just high in the sky, oh, everything's going to be okay now. There's a tension here. And we're invited to this way of Jesus to believe, to participate. Jesus says, this is after Easter, this is after he has risen from the dead. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's quite the statement. All authority on heaven, in heaven, and on earth has been given to me. Sometimes I wonder, what what would you say if all authority on heaven, in heaven, and on earth, was given to you. What would you do about it? Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Have them do what I've been doing. It says to go and to make disciples. Disciples, the disciple is someone who's becoming like the rabbi, becoming like Jesus. If we want to think of what kind of a mission state is for a church or for the church, it could be this, that we make disciples, and we make disciples who make disciples, and a disciple is someone who is becoming more and more like Jesus. Just finished off uh, our community group going through Mere Christianity, and Mere Christianity is talking about kind of what, this is what Christianity is all about. But it's amazing, as the author C.S. Lewis says, the more that we become like Jesus, the more we find our true self and our true identity. The more we give ourselves up, the more that we lay ourselves down, the more that we surrender, the more that we become the people that God has created us to be. As we become more like Jesus, we become really our true selves. Jesus says to go and to make disciples of all nations, of all people. And then he says this, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism. There's an an act here of baptism. Uh, We're we're fairly young as a church, and and baptism is something that is uh, familiar to some of you and something that is very foreign to others. It might be something that's weird. We're talking about baptism today because we're celebrating baptism, And I I think it's good for us as a young church to be reminded of what baptism means, uh, maybe be introduced to it for the first time, Um, because it's not something that you would see every day. It's not like a normal part of our community, like living here in Phoenix rhythm. It's something that churches do, and it can be something that's a little bit strange. And I want to talk about this idea of baptism today because Jesus tells us to go and to baptize, to be baptized and to baptize Others And so I kind of want to talk about, here's kind of what it it is for us at Desert City. In different churches and different traditions, uh, might have kind of different ways they go about baptism. But at Desert City, we have this thing called believer's baptism. And it's this idea that when you have decided to follow Jesus, you're making this statement publicly, and you're participating in this act to show everyone that you are a follower of Jesus. Sometimes this happens right after you make a decision to follow Jesus. Sometimes this takes place long after you make that decision. My wife, Marcy, was baptized a few years ago. She grew up Catholic, was baptized as a baby, and got to a point where she said, I want to do this as my decision in front of this church to say that I have decided to follow Jesus. And so there's a lot that's been said about baptism, but one of the things that we would say about it is this. Baptism... I want to talk about baptism as uh, symbolism. Baptism is symbolic. It's a symbolic act. There's nothing magical about the water. It's not holy water. It's not like uh, Indiana Jones where you pour the water on and you can heal you from a bullet wound. Um, It's symbolic. And yet, this symbolic thing is something that we would call sacred. Some churches might call a sacrament or an ordinance. It's something that is the set-apart act because of what it represents. It's symbolic because in the Old Testament, one of the first stories that we have in Scripture is about God's people who are enslaved in Egypt. Egypt, you know, the place that built the pyramids. Egypt, uh, the pharaohs and the Nile. God's people are enslaved there, and they're enslaved for 400 years They cry out to God to free them. They cry out to God to save them for 400 years. And God intervenes. Charlton Heston shows up at some point. Um, The plagues come. Eventually, they go through the Red Sea, and they pass through this water. And as they pass through the water, the Egyptians, their enslavers, follow them into the water. And God parts the Red Sea. They pass through it, and then the Red Sea collapses, and it washes away the Egyptians. And there's something that's happening here for these people of God who've been enslaved to this uh, empire that is getting out of slavery, moving into a new life, passing through water, emerging on the other side, and becoming this new identity as, as a nation, as a people. And there's something about this story that, that as people start to understand, here's how God works in this world. He sets people free from things that enslave them. The same thing that happened to these Israelites on this kind of kind of grand story, this, this macro thing. The same thing is happening on this macro level with them is happening on a micro level, happening personally inside of our hearts. As people, were enslaved to all sorts of things, our own desires. We're enslaved to the dark forces of this world. We're enslaved to things that, that cause brokenness, that cause decision-making, that destroys relationships. And we believe that just like God... Providing a way for the Egyptians to get out of slavery, he does the same thing for us. We celebrated that last week where Jesus goes to the cross. And and, and what going to the cross is is to to all of the, the 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 consequences of sin are absorbed on the cross. And if Jesus conquers sin and he conquers death and he rises from the dead, um, we find freedom. And so the same way the Egyptians pass through the waters, when we come to this understanding of our relationship with Christ we have this symbolic act where we go into the water and we come back out and we emerge with new life. And there's also something symbolic about Jesus, his death on the cross, and he goes into the tomb and he rises from the tomb conquering death. This act of baptism is symbolic of this surrender, of this putting to death kind of my own agenda, giving up my life so that I may truly find eternal life. And there's something symbolic about going into the water and coming back out Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul's writing, and he talks about this idea that that when we have this baptism, that we're we're starting to be united with Christ in the same way that he goes into the grave and emerges. There's something that unites us with him about this baptism, this symbolic act. He says, what shall we say then in Romans 6? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. For if we have been united with him in the death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in the resurrection." Like this, for we know that the old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that they, we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This is what this symbolic act, this is why it's sacred, because it's this outward visible sign of an inward and spiritual divine grace. When we come to relationship with Christ, we experience this divine grace that frees us from the things of this life that enslave us. And what this is, is how do we communicate that? How do we, we there's this, this symbolic act of baptism that is this kind of outward symbol of what happens inwardly with the death and resurrection of Jesus when we come into life with Christ. This is a symbolic act of something happening inside of us. The second thing I want to talk about is baptism as initiation. So if it's something that's symbolic, it's also something that has been known as an initiation. Initiation into life with Christ, initiation into the church. Throughout history, this initiation's been handled differently, especially in the first couple centuries. They would it was it was if you were going into baptism, this was a very serious decision. You would go through a training to be baptized. They wouldn't just let anyone be baptized. And yet there's also this other story that takes place in Acts chapter 8 that talks about this initiation that I want to read. And it's about this Ethiopian eunuch, and it's about this man named Philip. And Philip has been going around preaching the gospel. He's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's talking about Jesus' love for the world, about the salvation. And he goes to these towns in Samaria. If you know anything about kind of that, the world at the time in that area, the Jews didn't go into Samaria very often. I didn't like him very much. And so already that Philip is in Samaria preaching the gospel, that would be kind of an eye-opener. And on the way back in Acts chapter 8, let me just read this story. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south on the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Kandaki, or, if you want to mispronounce that correctly, like an American, Candace. Kendaki. Candace, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. So he meets this person that's a really big deal. This person is in charge of the treasury of the Queen of Ethiopia, of the Ethiopians. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, "'Go to the chariot and stay near it.' "'Then Philip ran up to the chariot "'and heard the man reading the Isaiah, the prophet. "'He said, "'Do you understand what you are reading?' "'How can I?' he said, "'unless someone explains it to me.' "'So he invited Philip to come and to sit with him. "'And this is the passage of Scripture "'that the eunuch was reading. "'He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, "'as a lamb before its shearer is silent. "'So he didn't open, did not open his mouth. "'And in his, in his humiliation he was deprived of justice.' Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? He has this question. And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me, of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. It's an interesting story. Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch, is baptized. I think what's interesting about that, when you think about the details of the story, Philip's coming out of Samaria, which already would have been something that was kind of uh, eyebrow-raising. And he meets this Ethiopian eunuch who's gone to Jerusalem to worship. Here's the problem. According to the Old Testament law, the Ethiopian eunuch wouldn't be allowed to worship at the temple. In fact, because of what has happened to him being emasculated, he was considered kind of like a half man, therefore wouldn't be allowed in. You have to wonder, what is this man, what is he doing? He, he travels from, from Africa, from North Africa up into Jerusalem. Does he get all the way there only to find out that he can't worship? What is it that he has, knows that there's something going on here with God? He's curious. He's seeking God. I don't know what happens when he gets to Jerusalem, but on the way back, he's reading the prophet Isaiah, and he's confused. And Philip runs into him and explains to him kind of what's happening here. This would have been something that would have been completely eye-opening, eyebrow-raising for the early church. What's Philip going to do? Does this man get the grace of Jesus? Does he get to be in a relationship with Jesus? Is Jesus accessible to him? And Philip says yes. He's reading the prophet Isaiah, which Isaiah is going to be something we study this summer. But the gist of it is this, that there's this wasteland, there's this desert that God has brought life into, a spring of water, a river, and where there was once wasteland, all of a sudden it starts to flourish. There's this oasis that sprouts up. There's something very symbolic about the story. They're on this desert road. He's reading Isaiah, and they come to this place of water in the middle of the desert. All of a sudden, there's life in a wasteland. And they see it. And he says, what should keep me from being baptized? Philip says nothing. And they get out of the chariot. And they go down. And there's this baptism. This is Christian initiation. Entering into this story of the church and life with Christ. Who is worthy of baptism? According to Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian nudic is. Anyone is. Anyone who is seeking God this relationship with Christ that starts. And they baptize him there on the spot. There's no big class, although classes are good. There's no big training, although training is good. This is Christian initiation. And there's a celebration of who the Ethiopian eunuch is. So there's something symbolic about it. There's something about initiation that takes place. Here's what I would say about that. When we come to this understanding of this sacred act of baptism, I think of it as like a wedding ring. A wedding ring isn't what makes you married. But a wedding ring represents a covenant that you've made with another person. So at a wedding, you would get a wedding ring, and you would wear it around to show everyone of this covenant. In the same way, baptism isn't this requirement for salvation. It's this response to salvation. That I have this relationship with God, and so I do the sacred act To let everyone know I am in relationship with God. Which leads to the last thing I want to talk about. Baptism as declaration. This is something that we declare. So not only is it symbolic of an inward thing that's happening, it's a public declaration of an inward transformation. I'm going to live my life for Christ. I'm in relationship with him. I'm declaring it to everyone. And that requires courage. A public declaration. It's not easy to get up in front of people and talk. It's not easy to get up in front of people, period. But it's something that you're saying to the world, I've made this decision in my heart, and I'm following Jesus. Something that can be made by someone young, an 8- or 9-year-old, or by a 98-year-old. But it's a public declaration that you are following Jesus. I've shared this story before, and I love it when it comes to baptism. It's about Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey, the great radio host, kind of like would have been a great podcaster, but was around before podcasting was a thing. Uh, he would always tell us the rest of the story. Um, feel like I'm born in the wrong generation, but loved listening to Paul Harvey. Um, wish that we had a voice like that now. But he tells the story of his baptism. And if you know Paul Harvey's story, wild story, his father was a police officer, was uh, killed by a burglar when he was three years old on Christmas, Christmas Eve, I think. Um, Raised by his mom, ends up in Chicago, uh, becomes this this famous radio broadcaster. um, Busy life, really busy life as he becomes a celebrity. Has one of the largest audiences of of any voice in America. And the stress and the weight of that uh, decided that him and his wife would just take a vacation so they come to Arizona leave kind of the, the frosty cold of Chicago, come out here to Arizona. And they're vacationing in Cave Creek, which is about 10, 15 minutes north of here. Um, vacationing in Cave Creek. And so they were driving down the road one day, and it was a Sunday morning, and he felt like, you know what, we should go to church. And I have this relationship with God. I've had this kind of this you know, crazy life, but God's always been there for me. And I think we should go to church today. And he goes into this old country church up in Cave Creek, um, says there's maybe 12, 15 people in there. And he gets into the service. The pastor looks out and says, looks like we've got some guests today. Paul Harvey's like, great. great. And he says, I was going to do a sermon, but I feel like I should talk about baptism. And Paul Harvey says, when he heard that, he had kind of this internal yawn, like, great, here we go. And then the pastor started to talk about baptism. Talk about this idea that it's, it's this symbolic act of surrender. Where we're saying, I've given my life to Christ, and now I'm going to let everyone know about it. He says so there's nothing magical about the water, but there's something sacred that happens in this moment, that when you publicly declare that you are following Jesus in front of witnesses, in front of people, there's this power of God that is unleashed in your life. It takes courage to share your faith. And Paul said he'd realized that hey, this relationship with God, he'd given his life to Christ at a much younger age, but he had never gone public. So there, in that little church building up in Cave Creek, he decided to be baptized on the spot. He talks about his experience, and he says this about baptism. Paul Harvey says, "The change." This is the rest of the story, I guess. That's terrible joke. Paul Harvey says, "The change. This simple act made in my life is so immense as to be indescribable. Since so totally yielding to Him in baptism, my heart can't stop singing." Also, perhaps because baptism is such a public act and because one's dignity gets drenched as one's body, I discovered a new unself consciousness in talking about my beliefs. I thought about that idea of like your dignity gets drenched as much as your body does, because this is kind of a strange act to be baptized, to go in front of a crowd and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. And this is a symbolic act where I publicly declare that I'm in life with Christ. It's not something that's easy. It's something that takes courage. And this is something that we encourage you to do if you are a follower of Jesus, to have the courage to say in front of our church community, which I believe is family, I'm following Jesus. I'm going to be baptized. So a couple things that this means for us today. First Sunday after Easter, as we celebrate baptism of some people in our community, Uh, the one thing that I want you to think about today is courage, the courage that this takes to go forth and to say, I am deciding to follow Jesus. Some of you have been following Jesus and have never been baptized before. We want to open that up to you today. Maybe like Paul Harvey, there's something inside of you that says, it's time. It's time in front of this family to announce, I'm following Jesus. We have a smaller crowd today, so it's not, like, um, as quite as intimidating, maybe. But courage, courage to go f- public with your faith. Uh, the second thing is celebration. We celebrate with those that have made this decision, that have decided to f- this. This isn't an easy decision. Uh, this isn't something that we take lightly. And this is something that takes a lot of courage. And so we celebrate with them as they are baptized. Uh, And the third thing is invitation. The life that Jesus came to show us is an invitational life. He doesn't force us to do it. He didn't come to give us a new set of rules to make our lives right with God. He came to give us a new life. And we invite you to the water today. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, Instead of taking communion today, we're going to end this time with a baptism celebration. A couple of people that are going to be baptized. If you've never been baptized before, we'd like to open it up to you and say, feel free to get into the water. Maybe you're wearing jeans, uh, and you're like, I can't get these wet. Um, God will miraculously dry them. I don't know. We have extra towels, um, and we would love to celebrate with you. Uh, If if today you feel like God is nudging that in your heart to say, it's time for me to go public with my faith, we'd love for you to do that. But we're going to take about five minutes. We're going to take a break, and then we have our baptism pool set up under the Ramada, over there kind of where uh, the petting zoo was a couple weeks ago. Let's take a break, um, allow people to get ready for baptism. If you haven't signed up and you'd like to do that today, think about it, and we'd love for you to do that. And then let's meet out in the Ramada in about five minutes to celebrate baptism. So told you, short service today um, as we get ready to celebrate. Let's meet out in the Ramada.